A reading from John's Gospel. Starting in chapter 19 and verse 1. And Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out against again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. And I'm going to continue reading. The words are not going to be on the screen at this point, but I'm going to continue reading for a little bit more. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law. According to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Father, as we come to your word this evening, I pray that you would just open our ears, open our minds, and soften our hearts. Help us to visit this story in a way that perhaps we've forgotten or we never have. Know that we tend to wonder why this is called Good Friday. And reality is, is without today, we don't have Sunday. And we've talked about that over these last months, this man of sorrows that we discover here, we're going to learn about tonight. Father, I pray that you would open up our hearts, most especially to hear the word that you have for us. So in the words of the old Anglican prayer that I have fallen so in love with what we know not tonight, Lord, I pray you teach us. What we have not in our hearts, Lord, I pray that you give us. And what we are not as your people, I pray that you make us. All for Jesus' sake, pray these things. Amen. How's everybody tonight? I'd like to welcome everybody here on, on Good Friday. Um, for those of you who are guests here for the first time, and there are a few, I'm Michael Oldham. I'm the pastor here at AGCC, and I want to welcome you to our worship center tonight. And I, uh, I pray that the Lord speaks to you. I pray that the Lord speaks to all of us this evening. Um, for myself, personally, you know, I've talked a little bit to the worship team. I spoke to my wife about these types of things. And I find that as... Um, I don't even know how to word this, but okay, here we go. As Protestants, we tend to ignore holidays like this because, you know, we don't like the way they've always been handled or the way they've been done by other faith traditions within the Christian um, faith tradition. I am not that type of person. Good Friday happened. Uh, we need to address it. I think that it is good in the very busy schedules that we have as people to stop for a moment, set aside some time, Open up our Bibles, 
be reflective of what it is God has to say and visit a story such as this and ask ourselves the questions that really need to be asked. Are we hearing what God has to say to us? Are we remembering what Jesus really did for us? This man of sorrows, if you've been here over these last weeks, our series leading up to Easter Sunday and the Resurrection Day, we've taken a look at the man of sorrows as reflected in Isaiah 53 and 1 Corinthians 15. I'd like to welcome you to come Easter Sunday morning. If you do not already have a place of worship at which you attend, I would encourage you to come as we take a look at 1 Corinthians 15. Tonight, however, uh, we're going to take a look um, at John chapter 19, verses 1 through 5, that I opened and read with. And I think that it's good that we reflect. I've titled the message this evening very simply, Behold the Man. Behold the Man. And as we gather this very quiet, good Friday evening, I really want us to see that Pilate himself was doing everything that he could to pass this Jesus off without having to make a decision about who he was. And that is a challenge that we all have to face as followers of Christ. And if we are not followers of Christ, a challenge that is even more daunting and more important that you make. So as we come this evening probably to one of the saddest scenes, not only in all of the scriptures, but in all of human history, we are gathered around a conversation and a confrontation that shows in a very microcosmic way the battle between heaven itself and the fallen earth and the people that are on it, which is in dire need, as any of us can tell, in dire need of the salvation that is standing right before them in the name of Jesus and yet rejecting it every chance they get. This story that we're going to look at tonight is really no different than today. We are confronted with the same questions with the same Jesus, and we are dealing with the same types of issues that Pilate had to deal with and the people in Jesus' day dealt with. And we're going to discover this evening that this man of sorrows is now standing in the gap, right in the gap, as it were, as the sacrifice who would once again unite heaven and earth. So again, for those who have been attending here these past weeks, we've been looking at this conflict between who this promised Messiah is and this king figure that Isaiah talked about and this man of sorrows and suffering in Isaiah 53 where he was broken in more ways than we can even imagine and how it is we can bring those pieces together. Because the notion that these were one and the same man was not something that the people in Jesus' day would have thought possible or would have even been able to get their hands around. Having done all that they could to silence this prophet from Nazareth, we discovered that it can't be done if you spend any time in the Gospels. The religious leaders decide that now is the time to devise a plan to have him arrested. And finding one of his own who was more than willing to turn him over, they decide that now is the time to make their move. It's a frightening scene we find in Scripture. A friend, as it were. A friend who broke bread and ate food with him. A friend in the midst of the group who would, for a few coins and a kiss, betray the Messiah of his people. Because that was what he felt he needed to do. You see, there really was nothing at all that they could charge this Jesus of Nazareth with, at all, without causing a riot. Because the people had taken after him because of the miracles that he had done, and the feeding of the 5,000, and the raising of the dead, and all of these things to declare himself to be the prophet. There was nothing they could do to bring a charge against him. They themselves couldn't even deny his ministry because it had all happened in public, in front of everybody. There was nothing that they could do. 
See, God's plan was moving painfully and intentionally forward to that moment when heaven and earth would once again be brought back together and the way home for God's people would be once again reopened, as we learned last week. So as this Good Friday scene unfolds in the scriptures for us, we see just how broken this world has become, even up to Jesus' day, because in and through the very twisted manner, Jesus is handed over to Pontius Pilate. You take a look at the scriptures. John declares for us in John 18, verse 28. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's house after they had already had a rogue trial that was illegal. It happened at night. It shouldn't have occurred, and yet it did. So they lead Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but that they could eat the Passover. How twisted and demented the world had become. In the midst of these men doing absolutely everything that they could do to kill this Jesus, because he is such a threat to their rule and such a threat to their power, we discover deep-seated religious hypocrisy. In order that they not be defiled and thus be forbidden from taking the Passover meal, they refuse to go into Pilate. They force him to come out to them so that they can remain clean in the midst of their big scheme to hand Jesus over. See, it's no wonder when we take a look at the Gospels that Jesus saved the absolute harshest words possible for those who are called themselves closest to God. It's no wonder. You see, because they, of all people, should have recognized this Jesus of Nazareth as the Messiah and should have known better than to do what they were doing. And that's a lesson for every single one of us sitting here tonight, that the outward appearance of piety and religious obedience does absolutely nothing to transform the heart. We can be as good as we can be and we can dress ourselves up as nice as we can and be as kind as we can, but the outward appearance of piety and religious obedience does nothing to transform the heart. All it actually does is show the heart for what it really is, deceitful and absolutely beyond repair. Here are the people who know the law by heart and yet the one who the law speaks of, they are trying to hand over. They're blinded to the fact, so blinded that they're handing over an innocent man all in order that they may get their own way and maintain their power. You see, Pilate himself saw this. He saw right through what it was they were trying to do it, and he still played right into their hands. And that's the horrifying thing about the story that we look at tonight. You see, he asked them what charges were being brought against Jesus when they brought Jesus to him. And the vaguest answer in the history of humanity is given to the procurator of Judea when it says this. Pilate went outside to them and said, what accusations do you bring against this man? They, the people that brought Jesus to them, answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to, said to them, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law then. Take him yourself and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. No charges. Vague. Then you take him and you judge him. Well, we can't because we want to kill him. See, Pilate, wanting nothing to do with this scheme, tells them to handle Jesus themselves. This is the very first opportunity and the first time Pilate will attempt to push Jesus off and avoid having to decide about him. It's the painful moment that Jesus has been moving towards. It's the painful moment that Jesus has been talking about and the very reason why Jesus himself was born. This is no accident. This is absolutely key for anybody who comes to this story. Absolutely key. Pilate knew 
at the outset, at the very outset, that he was dealing with an innocent man standing before him. And that makes this scene, which John gives us, all the more unsettling when we read it. Yet at the same time, there is absolute comfort in this scene, in all of its horror. And why do I say that? Because as this scene unfolds, Jesus is no sop to the events that are going on around him. This is no accident that he's been handed over to be abused as though these events are completely out of his control. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Jesus is in control. And John is careful to record for us in John 18 and verse 32. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Jesus knew. This Jesus wasn't along for some crazy ride. He wasn't allowing these things to play out in order that something he hoped would happen. No, no. He, the second person of the eternal trinity, was in absolute and complete control of every single one of these events that were happening to him. And Matthew records for us the very words that Jesus told us, the very words that John says Jesus said. Matthew records them when he says in chapter 20, starting in verse 17, as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, this is shortly before the triumphal entry in Palm Sunday, as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside, and on the way he said to them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. Why didn't they get it? Why don't we get it? Why didn't they get it? No, no. We are here. We are here not because men desired it, but because it was the divine plan of God from eternity that Jesus would suffer in just this way. And that his rescue mission for humanity and the world would be completed in just this way. You see, the struggle, as we've been learning here at AGCC over this last month or so, is that through the cross would come the kingdom. The kingdom would return with a price through the cross. How then can we think Pilate's guilty here? That's always a question that's asked. How can we think that Pilate's guilty? Since this isn't any random thing that's happening, Jesus is in complete control. Isn't Pilate just this mindless robot or automaton playing along with these things and he has no choice in the matter? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Because one commentator that I studied this week as I was looking at this passage stated this. He said that as procurator, Roman law, as procurator, when a person is brought to him as Jesus was, no charges against him, the procurator had full authority to simply dismiss and release the accused. It was well within his power to say to Jesus, you're innocent. From the outset, Pilate has and had the power and the authority to simply look at Jesus and say, take your things and leave. Go home. That's what Roman law dictated and stated. Instead, he took off down a road of no return. He decides that we're going to try and let this thing play out. Why? Because Pilate was a coward. Pilate was a coward. He feared people more than he feared God. He feared Roman authority more than he feared God. He feared for himself more than he feared God. 
And we've learned here over the last month that that type of sin is working itself out as idolatry. When we put ourselves in place of who God ought to be in our lives, and we are more self-concerned than we are God-concerned. John records for us one of the most detailed and intimate conversations between Pilate and Jesus, more so than any of the other gospel writers. After trying to hand him back, Pilate heads on inside to see what he can do to get the right words out of Jesus, keeping in mind that at any point, Pilate can say, let, let him go. Let him go. He asked Jesus this, starting in John 18 and verse 33, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, what a question. What have you done? Let him go. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. There's two different words he uses there that's important for us to understand. His kingdom is not of this world, nor is it from this world. It is for this world, and we're going to discover that. Are you the king of the Jews, Pilate asks him. Where did he come up with that idea? Well, people have been saying it. Are you the king of the Jews? They've given you over to me for whatever reason it is. So what is it you've done that has caused them to bring you here in order that I may take care of whatever problem you're causing? What have you done? Pilate, not able to get any answer from the chief priest, attempts to sort it out here. Big mistake. (laughs) Big mistake. Very big mistake. Because Jesus, in this short moment, before Pilate, in that room, defines for him how it is God does kingdom work and why Pilate and his ways are wrong. Jesus confirms, A, that he is a king by the confession that my kingdom is not of this world. He didn't directly say yes, but he certainly didn't say no. So my kingdom isn't of this world. So yes, I am a king. If it was of this world, it would operate as yours does, Pilate, by force, by coercion, by being a bully, by beating people into submission, by abuse of power, all of those things and the brutality that you show. But my kingdom is not of this world. My followers would have fought you, but they didn't fight you. I told them not to. I told them not to. Why? You see, because kingdom politics and God's plan moves forward and rules in a different way kingdom wasn't going to come the way this world decides kingdoms no through the cross the kingdom of heaven would once again be for this world the cross had to happen the cross had to happen frustrated as all get out Pilate asks the obvious question of this vagabond prophet from the north he says oh so you're a king so you're a king Jesus answered you say that I'm a king for this purpose I was born And for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. So he wasn't born to be a king. He was born to bear witness to the truth. What is the truth? That he is the king. To simply bear witness to what it is he's done. To bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. It's at this moment in time, Pilate has a choice. Pilate, though, not to be outdone by this smarty who's standing right across from him, asks the question, what's truth? But isn't smart enough to stay long enough to get the answer? 
He never waits. He spins around and he heads out away from the very one who actually is truth. If he had stayed long enough to hear the answer, Jesus would have given him the answer. But he simply goes back outside and for the second time, the second time, John tells us that he declares Jesus innocent. All in the hopes that he can pass the buck one more time and avoid making the decision one way or the other. For Pilate, things are spiraling out of control. He tries to convince them at this point to choose Jesus by throwing them a bone when he says, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas, we find out in some of the other gospel letters that he was arrested for insurrection and murder. We don't want this guy who's just going around healing people and screwing around with our power base. We want the guy that's been killing people. This is who we want. Pilate thought he'd had him, but no. They threw him a giant curveball again. Pilate knew Jesus was an innocent man. This man of sorrow standing before him had never done anything wrong, and it was well within his power to release him without cause. Just say the word. He was in charge of the city. But being such a coward, he wouldn't stand on his declared convictions that Jesus was innocent. He escalates the entire situation in the hopes of satisfying the mob. But guess what? The mob ultimately rules. He hands them the guilty man in exchange for the innocent. He exchanges a man everybody knows to be evil and wicked. All in order that the man of sorrows can walk the road that he was born to walk. John tells us, starting in verse 1 of chapter 19, that Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. I don't need to go into detail about what that looks like. Suffice it to say that I leave this with you, that on that good Friday morning, there were more people who died by the flogging than did the crucifixion. That's how violent flogging was. He was an innocent man. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and they arrayed him in a purple robe, the color of royalty. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Now I want you to remember verse 32 of chapter 18. That is so important. This is happening just as Jesus declared that it would happen. This is no surprise. Jesus is in shock at this. Jesus walked right into this knowing full well that the kingdom can only come through the cross and it has to be him that bears it. This was God's plan all along. As I said last week, I will say again this week, we cannot find our own way home. We cannot find our own way home. So Jesus is making the way for us. We can't find our own way home. If this painful Friday tells us anything, it is this. That without Jesus, we are nothing but prodigals wandering around trying to find our way home. Jesus took it. See, because he left home. Paul tells us in that beautiful poem in chapter 2 of Philippians that Jesus left home, heaven, in order that we may be given the way back home. As rebellious children, the kingdom and the cross have to intersect. There is no other way 
When Satan tempted Jesus in the desert, he was telling Jesus, I'll give you the kingdom without the cross. Jesus said, there is no kingdom without the cross. It isn't going to happen any other way. The way home to the kingdom is through the cross, and Jesus willingly took the road that we never could take. We have no ability to go down that road, and he knew it. He took it. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. Can you imagine the horror at this point? What does it look like? So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Eke homo, behold the man. Behold the man. He should have said the innocent man. And there he was, beaten and bloodied. And Isaiah, once again, where we have gone for the last month, as many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind, so shall he sprinkle many nations. There's the hint that Isaiah gives us that it is through the cross that we have found our way home. Through the suffering of this man of sorrows, through the beating of this Jesus of Nazareth, through the suffering on the cross, he shall sprinkle many nations. We are not here by accident. Don't think for a moment that as we sit in this place here in Virgins in 2017 that this is an accident. The blood of Jesus has sprinkled many nations. And we are here because of what he did then and there. You see, the very people, the very people who should have wept for their king and their Messiah, the very people who should have identified that this Jesus was who they had been waiting for, those very people scream at Pilate to finish the job. Finish it. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, crucify him. Crucify him. What are you doing at? fourth time Pilate looks at this innocent man and declares him to be innocent and takes him back inside with one last challenge to Jesus he's beaten him to a pulp in the hopes that Jesus will just say whatever needs to be said all the while Pilate has the opportunity to just let him go and he doesn't the arrogant worldly leader here who thinks he's an absolute charge of all of these events And driving these events says, where are you from? He don't even know. Where are you from? You will not speak to me? And then the damnable thing he says. Do you not know that I have the authority to release you? And I have the authority to crucify you? Seriously, Pilate? Really? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all, at all, unless it was given to you from above. I don't care what games you're playing, Pilate, you have no power, except that my Father in heaven says you have it. I'm here willingly. Do what you will. Do what you will. 
How did Jesus feel towards this Pilate, a lost soul, afraid of those whom he could see and unsettled so much that he couldn't muster enough courage to stand on what he knew to be true? This is an innocent man. Yet right here, right in the scriptures, Pilate finally chooses and he chooses wrong. He chooses to hand Jesus over to the will of the mob and to finish the job. Being threatened by these leaders over and over again, he brings Jesus one more time before the crowd and he says this, behold your king. They cried out away with him, away with him, crucify him crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. Now as the worship team comes up, and I want us to prepare our hearts for communion. It's a tough portion of scripture. I was talking with one of my former deacons here before I came up to the pulpit and we were talking about, you know, things in this world that are free. And we both agreed that nothing was free. And then we chuckled and he said, well, yeah, there was one thing free. And, and I said, yeah, for us. But it wasn't free. It wasn't free. The elements that we have before us that we are going to partake of here momentarily as I read this passage of scripture I want you to be reflective because they represent the body and the blood of this Messiah this king that was broken shattered beaten and bloodied for me and for you now I don't know where you are in relation to who this Jesus is but the challenge for you tonight is if you don't know him if you hear his voice, don't soften your heart. I want to pray with you before you leave. You come find me, um, only because I can't identify my elders and deacons, but you know who I am in front of you. If you don't know who this Jesus is, you come talk to me. You don't leave here tonight if the Lord's tugging at your heart until we make that right. He paid an awful price for each one of us, and I think he got a raw end of the deal. No doubt in my mind. So if you would just close your eyes. And just hear this, if I could have Jody and Brian just come up and prepare, we will get ourselves ready here. Isaiah tells us some 700 years before this Good Friday day, who has believed what he has heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty at all that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities and upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and by his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray and we have turned every one to his own way and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. As for his generation who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, 
stricken for the transgressions of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of God to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, which has happened, he shall see his offspring, whom we are. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand, and out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. And by his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Isaiah could very easily have said the very same thing after writing that. Behold the man. Behold your king. Friday he was abused, beaten, crucified for us the plan of God to bring us home has begun and the darkest day in history has to happen because without Friday my friends Sunday will never happen Friday has to happen without the cross we will never have the kingdom 